Hi, this is Helen, and thank you for joining me for a cup of teal. Teal is shorthand for the future of work. It means bringing your whole self to work, a focus on purpose and self-management. And this podcast is a chat over a cup of tea with the people who are making this happen in health, care and public services. Stories of self-management in action. Dave is brave. Dave is the operational director of Choice Support. And I met Dave when he joined us as part of the Self-Management in Action program earlier this year. In this first podcast, Dave explains how he chose the first two prototype teams in Choice Support. But not many people would begin that conversation mentioning the word redundancy. And I love the way he frames that. Dave talks frankly about his early challenges with IT. And I love the boldness in the vision that he has for the future of HR, IT and other support services. That's really worth listening to. So I hope you have a cup of tea ready to listen to Dave. I'm Dave Jackson and I work for Choice Support. I'm the Director of Operations. We are about £70 million turnover organisation. We're a charity. We merged with MCCH to create the new organisation and we support approximately 2,000 people with approximately 3,000 staff. We mainly work with people with learning disabilities and people with mental health issues. So Dave, how did you get to here? Because we've connected because you joined the course that we've been running recently called Self-Management in Action. So what got you to here? Well, I guess it started with Sarah, uh, Sarah Maguire, who's our chief executive. And uh, she actually pointed to your course as something I might be interested in, which was following numerous conversations that we've had about having to do something new in social care because the way it's operating at the moment no longer works. It's no longer fit for purpose. And what changes do you think need to happen if currently the way big organisations are working, as you say, aren't really uh, fit for purpose? Well, again, you know, in 2003, the government knew about the demographic time bomb that was going to hit in 2020 and everybody stuck their head in the sands on this one, ourselves included, uh, and the time bomb has now hit us. Uh, and, and you see that in terms of you know, more and more people needing support with less and less resources available for them to actually be met. So something has to give, and I can't see any changes really happening with government, certainly not in the foreseeable future. The green paper on social care has been delayed for the last three years that I recall. Within that cauldron, that mix of things, I think that it's down to people like ourselves to try and make what changes we can to people. And when I first got involved with yourselves, it just seemed like a breath of fresh air to me and it seemed a no-brainer. Why shouldn't we do this? And it very much fits with the sorts of things that I've been talking about for years anyway, that the wellbeing team's work has just put that into a much more coherent framework, I use that word loosely, for actually achieving that. 
So what would success look like, Dave? Because I, I have some anxieties when people say, is it, will we save a lot of money if we go to self-managed teams? And I'm not sure that that's what you're saying, but, but sometimes people think but this will save us loads of money and therefore this is the thing to do. Absolutely not. And one of the things I'm saying all of the time in our organisation, whenever anybody mentions efficiencies or savings or reserves or any of those other kinds of words, is stop talking like that. This is not about saving money. This actually is about the well-being of the people we support, our staff team, and wider society. Uh, the whole notion of the money, it would be a byproduct. So I think that you may well get efficiencies. I think you may well get more money. And I think you can then repurpose that to fulfill the purpose of your organisation. And that's one of the things I've been working on for quite a while now, which is what is the fundamental purpose of the organisation? The bottom line for me is that when you boil everything down, it comes down to increasing the opportunities for happiness, however you want to define happiness in that. And I'm not prescribing what that should be, but I think that's essentially what we're all after. And that isn't just me saying that. You, you can go back to John Stuart Mill back in the 19th century in philosophy, who talked about it in utilitarianism and the greatest good for the greatest number of people. And I think there's a whole movement going on at this moment in time that's going down this track as well at this stage now and, and we've committed to doing this um, every six weeks or so but do you have a vision or an idea about where you might be in five years time again from my perspective i want every team that we have in the organisation and wider. So I don't think this is just about our organisation. I think this is about all organisations. But certainly the things that I have control over, I want every team to be self-directed. Uh, and I think that self-management is certainly one part of that. But I think there's a wider picture here about the general well-being of people, one of which is having control over your work product. Uh, and I think that's what the well-being teams really work on when, when you start to talk about self-managed teams. It's not about cutting out management so that you can save money. It's about people having more control over what work they do and how they do that work for the well-being of the individuals concerned and themselves. Thank you, because I think the language issues are tricky. Um, so for people with long-term conditions, self-management means looking after yourself in the context of your long-term condition. And I was talking to Susan Basterfield, who's been my mentor around this, and she's talking about shared leadership as, as um, a, a language that might be useful. But whatever we call it, Dave, this is a really different way of working from command and control and bureaucracy. So where on earth do you get started with an organisation the size of yours to move in this direction? What are you doing first? I think it's one step at a time. And certainly what I've started doing already is I've getting two teams together that are existing teams that work under that command and control methodology. And I've got agreement from the head of the organisation to use those as a prototype to show how the rest of the organisation can uh, do things differently. So th they start their work on the 1st of September uh, and we're going to go live on the 1st of April 
next year and that. I've given a six-month run-in because one of the things I learned from the work that we did, and certainly from speaking to people that are already in self-managed teams, everybody was saying, I wish I knew then what I know now. So I want to give them the now before they actually start doing it. Give them all the chances to have all the worries and make all the mistakes before we actually start in order to maximize the chances of success on this. Lovely. So how did you come up with those two teams? How was the decision made? Because there's lots of thinking about, uh, for example, teams selecting themselves. We we know how Cornerstone have approached that in, in terms of looking for volunteers. And also, if you're sick, if you're giving a message that this is a direction of travel for the whole organisation, that can leave people perhaps feeling a bit worried or excited. So how did you make that decision? I honed in, first of all, on a manager that I thought wouldn't be threatened by this, someone who was going to actually embrace this. Uh, and the first conversation I had with her was, I want to make you redundant. <laughs> right, OK. And then I want to do it again and again and again because if we get this right you're going to be one of my pathfinders for changing the whole organization around she she's a very confident woman and she's got the right values and attitude to do this and she was fully up for it the reason we ended up with two teams was because people in the organization always think I play favorites with that area of work because I always tend to trial things in that area so for example one of my pilot sites for actually getting the ISFs up and running again I would have done that across the whole organization but uh, local authorities need to get up to speed a bit on this but because I'd had this comment made that I was playing favourites, I said, well, I'll take another team. Uh, just give me the name of a manager who might be willing to go down this route with me and go on this journey with me. I got that, the name of that manager. And as soon as I spoke to her, I knew that she was going to be on board with everything we were trying to do. And then it was a case of meeting with the teams And what I did there was I told them all they could have a vote on this. They pretty much didn't know what I was talking about at the start of the day. By the end of the day, the first team voted 11-2 to go down this route. The second team voted 9-0 to go down this route. So either I'm a really good salesman or the ideas are just there for people and people see it immediately. And certainly the feedback I got from both teams was, why on earth wouldn't we go down this route? Uh, so both might be true there, Dave. But tell me, what happens to the two people who voted against it? I actually turned around to the team where it was 11 to 2 and they asked me exactly the same question. What do we do about the two that didn't uh, want to do this? And I said, that's your job as a team. That Your job is to support those two individuals and hold those two individuals. I, I think the dissenting voice is really important. If, we, if all we do is create conformity, then we're not really creating creative teams. We're creating conforming teams. So I, I think it's really important that people can express themselves and can have those doubts. And I think that's part and parcel of starting to build psychological safety for people. So I said to the team, how are you going to support those individuals rather than me trying to provide you with answers? You know, can, can you live with the fact that somebody just wants to come in and do their work? That's what they're saying to us. That, that what they're implicitly saying is they want to abdicate responsibility for making those decisions that the team will make. Can you live with that? Are you happy with that? They all agree that they could support that, that individual to do that. 
Hence why they then start to be part of the solution rather than creating a problem or a division. So what if people said, but aren't you putting quite a lot of pressure on those two people to conform despite what you say? And, you know, aren't you setting up the rest of the team then to put put pressure on them? So being devil's advocate, Dave, how would you respond to that? I, I, I think you're right. And I think it's inevitable that there will be either conscious or unconscious pressures put upon those two people. I think that's again about how that's managed. And I'm going to be involved with these teams mm-hmm. intensively over the next six months and the following time, but certainly over the next six months. And what I'm hoping from that is that both myself and the existing manager of the team will pick up any of those nuances. Mm-hmm. I think it's also fair to say that this is a direction of travel. It's not an end product. Mm-hmm. It's where we're going to. And inevitably, there are going to be people that are scared. There are going to be people that are set in their ways and don't want to change. And, and it's like anything else. Our whole organisation was built upon transferring services from the health service mm-hmm. into a social care service. And what I've always said is that 50% of people will just run with this. They'll think it's the best thing that's ever happened to them. Mm-hmm. 40% will have a bit of a struggle and we'll help support them with that. And there are going to be a hardcore 10% or so that don't want this, that totally want to stay exactly where they are. And again, we'll support those people where they are. But the reality is that what we have to face up to is that change is coming. Mm. I've already been thinking about it. They can actually, if they so choose, if they really can't live with this and they can't operate within a self-directed team I can offer them other positions in other teams that aren't yet Mm self-directed safety net for them they can work within the team and operate to the extent that they're able within the the existing confines but it's about being clear and transparent and really open and honest with people we're going down this route it's about joining us on the journey now we know from other experiences, Cornerstone and, and others internationally, that losing up to twenty percent of your current colleagues wouldn't be unusual, which is more than the ten percent that you've just indicated. Is that something you're prepared for? I don't think any organisation can be fully prepared for it. And if you're talking ten percent of three thousand staff, that's three hundred staff that I would lose. I don't anticipate the attrition rate being anywhere near that. I honestly believe that when people see the benefits of this, they're going to be clamouring at the door to do this. And the problem will be capacity to change those teams around into self-directed teams. And again, I've already had interest from a number of other teams that want to know more about what we're doing mm-hmm. and how we're doing it. I've already had conversations with a number of other teams where they're saying, why can't we do this? Why can't we be part of it? So I don't think that when people see the reality of what it's about and when people see the ways in which we operate differently, that there is going to be the same kind of reluctance and reticence that we've met and dealt with over many years for people transferring out of hospital institutions into the community on that. So I I think that this is a really positive journey to go on for people. 
I completely agree. And for many people, you're also changing the psychological contracts with them who are who often come into organizations and the security and safety of having a manager and being told what to do is how they like to live and work. So let's keep track of this, um, Dave, because over the, the months as we're talking, it'll be interesting to see what the impact is across the organization. But some of that's is around how you're communicating across the whole organization as a direction of travel. So what are you doing to let people know or explain or explore this direction of travel across the whole of choice support? I, I think, if I'm honest, we're taking it very carefully at the moment mm -hmm. because we've been through a lot of change having a merger of two organizations into one big organization. So people are scared of even more change. I'm letting word of mouth do a lot of things, but my chief exec is, is also writing a Friday blog to all members of staff, uh, just talking about ideas generally. And this is where we're starting to introduce that notion in the wider sphere. So the latest one that she did, for example, was on the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. And so it's about putting the drops in there and sowing the seeds of ideas of change without threatening people with it, mm -hmm. especially people that have been through a great deal already. And you're also joining us as uh, one of the organisations part of Open Teams to share the documents and your comms material uh, may eventually be part of that. So thank you um, for joining us in that. What we also know is moving in this direction is very challenging for other parts of the organisation, often HR, finance, IT. What are you learning from some of your other colleagues' reactions? Yeah, I'd, it'd be fair to say that it's a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. you know, it, in lots of ways, what we're talking about are monopolies and changing around a monopoly situation. So, for example, you know, the only competitor to our finance department or our HR department or our IT department at this moment in time is nothing. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they have a monopoly position on providing those services. And there's, there's a wonderful paper called The End of Bureaucracy, which is about a Chinese firm. And we sent this around to all the directors to have a look at, which again is where I would like to go to. I, I want to go much further. I want to give each team total control over their budget so that we really do move towards self-directed supports. Sorry, Dave, would that mean that therefore they could buy in support from HR or not? Or That's not? my ultimate objective on this. Okay, that sounds, uh, that sounds very brave. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suspect I'm going to hit a few uh, hurdles on this one. Uh, but that, that I guess my thinking behind this is people can't be fully responsible for and accountable for all the things that happen in their area without having the full control that comes along with that. Absolutely. And I think recruitment is, is a really significant example um, of that. So, um, again, delighted that we're going to be continuing this journey on a month by month basis to find out how HR, finance uh, and IT respond. But, but you and I personally have had a, an experience to challenge around IT. Would you tell people a bit about that? Yeah, uh, basically, I, I wanted to start by communicating with the teams and the place that you and I have been communicating is on Slack and on Zoom, which we're on now. For me, I, I really like Slack and I really like Zoom. They, they seem to work very well for me. So I asked the managers that are in the 
prototype teams to get them onto both Slack and to Zoom. And our systems are locked down by the IT department. And effectively, the IT department declined to do that because of the risks involved to organizations uh, from getting viruses or whatever. Basically, rationalizations for why we couldn't do something, not why we could do something. We also operate Windows 365, and so we, we already have a, a whole set of systems built in. And we were just looking at Teams as a whole organization, which is one of the, I guess, challenges to places like Slack, uh, but from Microsoft. And uh, so they agreed that they would uh, set up Teams for us. Now, my problem for that is that w- when I want something, I, I want it here and now. I don't want to have to wait for a long period of time. So, you know, I I agreed to do that on the basis that it would be set up soon. But with everything else that they have to do anyway, just managing the systems that we have in the bureaucracy, inevitably things slip down. So it took me three weeks even to get onto a team site and get that set up as a prototype. Uh, Equally, I keep getting the impression that people will do stuff because I'm the director as opposed to doing stuff because this is the right thing to do. Now, whether that's my inability to communicate effectively or effectively so far, I don't know. And maybe there's work for me to do in the wider organisation. But I think that I generally hit these hurdles with the support services. And I think part and parcel of the problem is that they are monopolies. Therefore, there is no interest for them to do anything other than preserve their own positions. So in a preserving position stance, you don't want to do anything different. You don't want to do anything that might be seen as a bit dangerous or a bit risky or a bit different. So that's where I think the big challenges are going to come in the coming months and years. My very real feeling is that the staff, once they get over the hurdle of suspicion that this is just about trying to do cuts and things, mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to be a problem. They're going to embrace it. I think the organisation as an entity has a bigger existential problem with something like this. Well, I'm particularly excited to hear how you're approaching this. And, and I must admit, that's the most radical conceptualization of the role of support functions in large organizations, supporting people and in charities as well. So really excited to be speaking to you every month or six weeks and share what you're learning in terms of how the teams are embracing this, the new role for the two managers that you've uh, described. And what you're seeing emerging for IT, HR and finance and and indeed your your chief exec. So thank you so much for for joining me, Dave. Let's book in more time in six weeks and uh, look forward to hearing next steps on your journey. Thanks. It's great chatting with you, Helen. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your reflections. Please tweet me. I'm at Helen at WBTeams. This podcast is a companion to Open Teams. On this podcast, we share the voices and stories of pioneering organizations in health, care, and public services. And on Open Teams, you can see the documents that they're using. Have a look at openteams.co.uk. And if you're interested in wellbeing teams, please come and find me on LinkedIn, where I share a weekly two-minute film, or my blog site, helensanderson.net. 
And finally, if you're interested in self-management and need some support along the way, I'd love to hear from you. I'm at helen at wellbeingteams.org. Thank you.